0: Business and Buckets fans, we are live, episode 66, here on a beautiful Wednesday evening in the Pacific Northwest. It's February, the groundhog said that the winter is going to be extended, and I'm probably one of the rare people that are rooting for that, looking for a, a longer and extended ski season. But we have a lot of sports to talk about, including skiing, snowboarding, mostly snowboarding because I'm a snowboarder. Uh, but before we talk sports, we're going to talk Fueled Supplements, the one and only sponsor here at Business and Buckets. And it's a new year. Health is wealth. Keeping your immune system strong, reducing cortisol, detoxifying your body on a cellular level to relieve chronic jo- joint pain and increase your overall vitality and energy with Fueled Supplements well, uh, wellness products. Fueled multivitamins and Fueled Greens is the immunity combo your body needs to be and stay at your best. You can always make more money, but you can't always get back your health. Start today and save a little cash when you invest in yourself and your future by using promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off at fueledsupplements.com, the best place on the web for sports and wellness products. Again, promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. Now, in the NFL, we obviously just are off the hills of championship weekend. There is the... You know, a bye week, so to speak, with the Pro Bowl happening before the big dance, the Super Bowl, the big halftime show, the the Dr. Dre, the the Do Double G and crew, Eminem, Kendrick Lamar. That's going to be a blast. We will save a little bit of that for next week as we 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 walk into Super Bowl weekend. But pretty usual with a lot of team seasons coming to a conclusion already. There are some headlines across the, around the league. We'll talk a little bit of Tom Brady. Talk a little bit of Big Ben. I'm rocking the Big Ben shirt one last time to give him a good send off here at Business and Buckets. Well, for the Giants, the football Giants, they are hiring Bill's offensive coordinator, Brian Dabble. Um, Obviously needed to fill the position. There was rumors of other people being involved here, but they were able to escape with Brian Dabble, um, who obviously was part of a flourishing offense in Buffalo with Josh Allen and crew. The Bears hire Colts defensive coordinator Matt Eberfels as their head coach. Um, You know, Harbaugh had recently been interviewing with the Vikings and some other places. I'm surprised the Bears didn't open up uh, Harbaugh as a potential suitor, but uh, Matt Eberfels has a good uh, resume coming out of Indianapolis where the defense has had – he's had a solid unit there for for a a number of years. The Broncos are hiring Packers offensive coordinator Offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett, just like the other moves, a lot of these have something similar in common and that they've been running very good units, right? Obviously, Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones has led the way in in Green Bay, but they wanted to bring someone who, who has been a part of that flourishing offense to Denver. Obviously, their quarterback situation is going to be probably their number one priority, but besides that, being able to keep that offensive flourishing and who knows, Maybe Aaron Rodgers is soon to follow. Uh, Dan Quinn announces that he is staying with the Cowboys. He had interviewed a few different places for openings, but seems like he's going to stand pat as a defensive coordinator for the boys as they look to uh, run it back next season after a very, very disappointing end of the, the 2021, uh, 2022 season. Jimmy Garoppolo fresh off the loss is going to have thumb surgery. He had a, um, Injured that thumb a couple weeks uh, prior to the past game. So he's going to take some offseason surgery. Obviously, you know, this isn't an ACL or anything too extravagant. So he will have uh, an expected full recovery way before the, the, the season next year as he will most likely be a uh, a new team's free agent signing in the offseason. The Denver Broncos are actually for sale. They are for sale for new ownership. Um, the Broncos maybe not. You know, one of the the OG teams and um, organizations like a Steelers, a Packers, but an organization that really does have its own way of doing things, has flourished over the years, and I'm assuming someone's going to be excited to buy the Denver Broncos. I know I would if I could afford buying a team that's a a team that that has a good history and uh, uh, has a lot of things to be excited about in the future, I'm sure, as well. And this had got leaked. Someone had flown over the Washington Stadium, the, the WFT Stadium, so to speak. I said I was going to keep calling them WFT till they changed their name. There was some logo leakage yesterday. But the WFT has now officially changed their name to the Washington Commanders. They had showed some new uniforms. They had shown the setup. And I'm not too sure how I feel about it. I don't think it's terrible. Um, I've seen worse sports names out there. The uniforms actually looked kind of sharp, It's something new, something exciting. I'm excited for the new chapter here. The Cleveland Guardians, the Washington Commanders is definitely going to take a while to get used to, uh, but at least they've started somewhere. Now Washington just needs to fix our stadium so that that turf doesn't shred everyone's knees, so that the bleachers doesn't have plumbing issues. So Jalen Hurts doesn't have fans falling on him at the end of the game. And they'll start, you know, progressing forward. So hopefully this is the first of many for for Washington and their fan base and that organization in general. The Vikings tried to hire Jim Harbaugh, supposedly. They did not make him an offer, but he announced today that he is returning to Michigan. He will be back next year. I'm sure the Michigan alum, the Michigan fan base, the college students, everybody else is stoked for that. I know I would be. I was actually kind of excited about the idea of Harbaugh going to the Vikings next year. I think he could have been a great head coach and leader for that organization. And they would have been a, a, a popular like comeback pick for me. But uh, they still have the opening. It seems like they have a couple front runners in mind, including the offensive coordinator for the Rams. But we will see what happens. The Vikings head coach op- uh, situation is still open for business the league has been clouded with another controversy including race uh race hiring for for coaching and executive positions obviously flores had interviewed for a couple positions and there was some text leaks that had basically shown that you know they were never really considering flores as an as an option so with that um uh, at the same time, Hugh Jackson had kind of joined the, the the movement saying that in Cleveland, the owner had paid him to actually lose football games so that they could be in a position for better draft picks. So I'll just say this. The NFL is one of the most powerful organizations of any kind of business in America, potentially in the world. And usually where there's that kind of money, there is some crazy shit behind the scenes, especially if it's something that's been running for hundred, you know, 100 plus years. As there's a lot of systems and ways of doing things that haven't been able to be on the record, pre-internet, pre-social media, you know, lots of building blocks and ways of doing things that aren't considered okay in today's standards. Um, usually where that happens, there is some sort of griminess where there's money, there's sketchiness going on, someone's getting screwed over, there's some sort of rules that are being broken. That is human nature. So I'm not surprised by this at all, right? On the heels of the John Gruden situation. Uh, the way people are treated, it's the NFL, nothing's going to be perfect. And you can go through every other sports organization and find the same shit, right? In baseball, the way they treat their minor league system. I'm sure there's some racial issues there as well. I mean, every single league we could go in and, and nitpick it. So I'm not surprised. I'm happy Brian is speaking up. Hugh is adding to the situation. Two guys that are more than worthy of having an NFL job. And for me, as a Steelers fan, I hope we hire Brian Flores as the defensive coordinator and get an actually high-quality person as a big coordinator position, which the Steelers don't do very often. Um, but I have to bring that up. I hate talking about these more than, you know, the political side of the sport. Uh, but this is something that does need to be spoke for and something that uh, the NFL should get knocked for because it's not okay. And hopefully there will be better change on the the other side of this. And props to Flores for speaking up about it. Obviously, the text kind of spurred this thing, um, but it'll be interesting to see how the dominoes fall here. The Raiders are hiring Josh McDaniels as their head coach and Dave Ziegler as their GM from uh, the New England Patriots. Um, You know, I've always thought Josh McDaniels would get right back into the saddle as a head coach. He went to go work with Belichick again. Things have gone pretty well for him. the Raiders, is it kind of a surprise to me a little bit, right? There's been a lot of chaos going on there, but you know, as a, a, an outsider looking in, they have a quarterback. They do have some momentum. They have a new stadium, a fan base. that's excited. I'm more worried about the youth and driving Lambos 140 miles an hour off the strip more than anything. Uh, but it seems like a good fit for Josh McDaniels. They have Josh Jacobs, right? They have, uh, uh some young pieces on that offensive line, Uh, for McDaniels to get that running game going. So this is going to be fun and interesting to track down. But right when I saw it, I almost had the feeling of Tom Brady with retirement as we went back and forth through that all weekend. And I'll get to that in a minute. But he had left the Indianapolis Colts after taking that job. And that job seemed like a pitcher perfect job in the first place before he had got it. So it made complete sense to me. And then he ended up backing out, right? I'm not too sure what the, you know, the specifics are on that from memory. I don't really care too much to look into it. Uh, but I was like, well, we'll see. It's the Raiders. This wouldn't be the most uncommon thing for the Raiders if McDaniels committed to them. And a week later, all of a sudden, he's not there. Uh, but at this point, all signs looked at him being the official head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders in the Death Star. So yeah, Tom Brady, he wasn't retiring. He was retiring. There was some probably early leakage. He didn't want it to be that way, maybe. I'm not sure. But much like I had said previously with Tom Brady, I believe Giselle and the family are just kind of over him playing football. He's done anything and everything. He's been playing forever. Uh, he's not in the house as much as she would like him to be. And I don't blame them. Um, I figured Tom Brady, the way he's done things, uh, especially of late, he would want a one year, you know, Hey, this is it. I'm hanging it up after this year and kind of get a goodbye tour everywhere. But I think some of the things like, you know, AB's fallout, Chris Godwin, you know, his contract up for up for question, a lot of one year players and some of the disorganization that's going on with the Bucks. You know, do I really want to, you know, piss off Giselle and the fam a little bit more to come back into this hot mess? Probably not. You know, Gronkowski, a contract that's, that's still got to be handled as well. So he is officially retiring. And I told my friend as we were heading to the ski hill this weekend, I have to see it from Brady, right? I have to see it from Brady to, to, to really feel a certain way. And uh sure ship that you know, that's official. That was done. And uh, you know, I'm stoked. No more, no more Super Bowls for Brady. Props to you. It's been a good career. But I'm glad that this chapter is officially closed and we can move on. Now I have to deal with Joe Burrow as a Steelers fan. Jeez Louise. Um, before we talk about championship weekend, we are going to walk through Tom Brady and Big Ben. I had to give Big Ben a a little bit of a hurrah. I know that I've done this. I didn't think the Steelers would make the playoffs. We kind of talked about this being the last hurrah for him. He ended up making the playoffs, so on and so forth. And then obviously retirement was not necessarily official, but now it is official. So as we look at it, um, some of the favorite moments and records of Big Ben, for me, the, the first thing that comes to mind is obviously the Super Bowls. The way he came in as a rookie and changed the whole organization I was at the age where I was really, really learning the game of football. I was starting to play the game of football when big Ben came in and I was able to start learning from Madden, playing the game, learning plays, you know, understanding the, the nitty gritty, not just a a casual fan. Like, Oh, that's a pass. that's a run. Okay. What's going on? What types of coverages? What kind of plays, who do you go to and what type of situations in game? And, um, with that, um, it was just cool the swagger that Ben had and how he transformed technically my life as a NFL fan because I was super diehard into the Steelers. But uh, when your team doesn't perform on a year to year basis, you lose a little bit of luster. You're not looking in today's world with smartphones for the new update. You're not excited for the Sports Center interview afterwards. You're not excited to watch the post game press conference. All those things that. When you have a luxury of winning, you want every little bit of detail and you want to enjoy the run while it lasts. And I was kind of in a phase as my Steelers fandom of like, man, like we just can't quite figure it out. The quarterback play was a mess at that age. I don't think I realized how important the quarterback was. I mean, definitely to a point, but not to the extreme of really what, what, what that equates to and big Ben coming in. With the rookie being able to make such a big change, dude, it's it's going to be such a it was such a cool opportunity. You know, he come in, we go fifteen and one, we lose in the AFC Championship, but you're so excited for what's next. What is this young player going to do? This not ordinary quarterback who sits in the pocket way too long most of the time, who doesn't throw the ball when he probably should half the time, but extends plays, draws up some backyard football, and just has a way, finds a way to win the football game. So there was an excitement there. Now, as a, a young fan, was I truly a fan of Ben Roethlisberger? Right out the gate, there was that spark. So definitely to a point. But because of some of the things he had done off the field, I was, you know, I never bought in a Big Ben jersey. I never was like, Big Ben's my favorite player. That always ran through Heinz Ward, Troy Polamalu, Jerome Bettis, like the, the real OGs. But uh, every year I was excited to wear the new sideline hat, right? I had the the backwards hat, the shaggy hair, just like he did. And and he was definitely an idol because the quarterback is the leader of the team either way. And every year after, well, every time a, a sports team of mine would win a Super Bowl, I'd want to buy the DVDs that recap the year. And on the first Super Bowl victory against the Seahawks, uh, Jerome Bettis had talked about wanting to retire, right? He's, he's getting a little extra in the weight. His jersey was expanding a little bit. He didn't know if he wanted to come back. And uh, Big Ben said, come back one more year. I'll win you a Super Bowl. That storybook ending of that happening in his hometown in Detroit, the photo of him and his children and Hines Ward and everybody else was just the coolest moment, man. And uh, as a fan, that's just where things really blew up. And I was grateful because some people don't get to see their NFL team, you know, win a a Super Bowl technically in their lifetime. With the Bengals getting there recently, there was a video that surfaced online of this 85-year-old man just like crying in his chair because the Cincinnati Bengals have finally made it to the the Super Bowl. And as cheesy as sports seem, you know, some people want to say, hey, sports are just an enigma. They're an escape for you, almost like a drug to escape the real world. But it also brings a sense of community. It brings people together. I could walk into a city that I've never met anybody, spur conversation because I'm wearing a certain team's logo right? You you get to connect in a certain way and being an only child that helped me connect with other people because everyone's watching the game. We could talk about it. And I think that's really what what brought me to be a sports fan as an only child raised with a bunch of women, uh, that really hated sports. And I'd always try to watch the games and that they'd be pissed off that they'd want to watch something else. But regardless, big Ben brought that for me and in a, a sport that I'm the most passionate about and the deepest roots in with the Steelers, it was really cool, and that's why we have to give him respect because that's what you know. Something as simple as an NFL team, an NFL player, a leader can do to some to uh, affect another person's life. And for me, it, you know, Ben Roethlisberger was a big start of that as I had grown up throughout my life. And uh, although I was never the biggest, you know, big Ben Roethlisberger fan, as he had got matured, right, he he came closer to God. He got married, did those things. I really started respecting him in the way he handled. Uh, really everything on and off the field, and, you know, I rock my, my, my Big Ben stuff anywhere, and I'll, I'll vouch for him any day of the week. There was definitely some ebbs and flows, just like anyone. You could probably relate that to your life, you know, your profession, your career, your relationships. It is what it is. No one's perfect, unless you're fucking Tom Brady, I guess, but he's a cheater, so, you know, when it looks perfect, there's something going on, probably fucking cheating. Um, but anyways, obviously the Super Bowls, Right. The game-saving tackle on the uh, Colts game in the AFC Championship to make the Super Bowl. Jerome Bettis, the best closer in sports, fumbles the rock. He sprains his ankle to get the tackle. A tackle he had no business getting. He found a way, right? He, he found ways for the Steelers to win football games, and that's, what, that's really what matters. Then the Arizona Cardinals Super Bowl. Right, The motherfucker threw in triple coverage. Once he threw the ball, I was like, no. He found a way. Santonio came down with it. Some people want to say it's not a catch. That is clearly a fucking catch in my book. Um, those are probably the most prolific moments, but he's had some big moments in games and just areas throughout his career as well. In the ugly-ass, like, b Gelbird uniforms that they wore every once in a while, I uh, had two games with six touchdowns in those uniforms. As ugly as they were, he showed out in them. Ah, uh, the fake spike touchdown versus the Cowboys. The Cowboys, I believe, were Tony Romo at the time—a really solid team. Uh, he'd run a fake spike touchdown that was brill- brilliantly executed. I was actually at my small town in Montana watching this at a bar, with a bunch of adults. I shouldn't—you know—I'm not supposed to be in the bar. You're in the bar because uh, I had to catch the game, and and that was a cool moment that I'll never forget. Ah, uh, for me, I was at my cousin's house for this one on Christmas. The immaculate extension with Antonio Brown to beat the Ravens. Uh, when the Ravens were a very high-quality football team, which they typically are. And, and just, you know, all the craziness in that, in that ro- uh, rivalry, in that battle. A.B. stretching it over, even though he's a small guy and all these other big guys are hitting him. Uh, in the color rush jerseys, which are my favorite, it, it was just a, a game I'll never forget. And obviously all the drama with A.B. now, Ben Big Ben retired. It's just it's crazy how fast things go by, and, you know, your team's a completely different team. You have to enjoy those while you can. And at this point, the Steelers would never play in like Christmas or Thanksgiving and things started changing, which was really cool. Um, when we look at his accolades, he's a two-time Super Bowl champion, a six-time Pro Bowler, two-time NFL passing yards leader, an NFL offensive rookie of the year. He's fifth all-time in passing, eighth all-time in passing touchdowns, seventh in passer rating, fifth all-time in wins, fourth all-time and game-winning drives, third and fourth quarter comebacks. He's got the most regular seasons in a, a, a regular season wins in a season for a rookie quarterback with 13. That was 2004. He has the longest regular season win streak to start a career for an NFL quarterback in 15 games. He won all 13 starts in 2004, won the first two in 2005. The most wins as a starting quarterback in his first five NFL seasons, only including regular season. So he had 51 from 2004 to 2008. He has the most games with a completion percentage of 70% or higher his rookie season, which you have to have at least 10 attempts or more. Um, He had six games with 70% or higher. Most games with a completion percentage of 80% or higher, he had four First QB to start two conference championships in his first two seasons in the NFL, lost the first year went to the Super Bowl and won the second. The youngest starting quarterback to ever win the Super Bowl, 2005, which was the Super Bowl happened February 2006, and second youngest quarterback to play in the Super Bowl behind Dan Marino. He's the second quarterback in NFL history along with Peyton Manning to register three perfect passing games during a regular season and the only quarterback to ever register two perfect passing games in one regular season. He's got the lowest passer rating for a Super Bowl-winning quarterback, 22.6. He was 9 of 21, zero touchdowns with two interceptions. You know, all the glory that he had brought that rookie year, what a terrible NFL Super Bowl performance. Uh, the tackle in the AFC Championships kind of saves his ass in the clout for that. Um, but the the one-touchdown pass was... Antoine Randall, an old college quarterback, swing pass to Heinz Ward. And, uh, yeah, Willie Parker had the big touchdown run that saved their ass. But I'll never forget that That, 22.6. That's wild. Uh, Most yards passing in relief, 379 yards on the November 15th game, 2015 against the Cleveland Browns. Most consecutive six-plus touchdown pass games. Most touchdown passes in consecutive games, which is twelve. Most career 500-plus passing yard games in three. And I wanted to pull this up because it's kind of funny. Looking at all the receivers who has the most touchdowns with him in his days as a quarterback. Antonio Brown had 72. Heinz Ward, 41. Heath Miller, 41. Le'Veon Bell, 7. Deontay Johnson, 15. Juju, Santonio Holmes, Chase Claypool, Mike Wallace, Jesse James, martavis bryant who should have been a stud and we'd got to him willie parker plexico burris before he left had six obviously naji harris antoine randall david johnson emmanuel sanders young stud that they had that's still in the league james washington will johnson richard mennenhall james connor e- eric ebron pat fryermuth nate washington vance mcdonald d'angelo williams eli rogers Matt Spath, Marcus Wheaton, Darius Hayward Bay, who had been on the team for a stint, Darius Green, Xavier Grimble, two tight ends, Moel well, Day Moore, Sammy Coates, who was a big bust, Lance Moore, Cedric Wilson, Jericho Cottry at the end of his career, Jalen Samuels, Ryan Switzer, Isaac Redmond, uh, Dan Kreider, Kobe Hamilton, Jermaine Tooman, Justin Hunter, who was a bust, Najee Davenport, Veron Hayes, Wesley Saunders, Derek Moye, Leonard Pope, Quincy Morgan, Jay Ramirezma, and Michael Palmer. What an array of people that he had thrown touchdowns to. And that kind of gives me a fun remembrance down memory lane. Some of those guys are like, oh, shit, totally forgot about that guy. Oh, yeah, those were the days. But what a career, Mr. Ben (coughs) fucking Roethlisberger. Seems like he's been there my whole life. And then we got the GOAT. I always talk about Tom Brady. It's that perfect meme. God damn it. I despise you. But damn, I do respect you, right? I mean, he is the GOAT. It is what it is. You cannot deny that. And I won't accept any but anything else. He's the GOAT in all sports, in my opinion. What he's done is unbelievable. When we look at Mr. Tom Brady, I mean, I could probably talk for 10 minutes on all the accolades he has. He was a former six-round pick, right, Big Ben? He was uh, a first-round pick, so it was a little bit different. When Tom Brady saw that Big Ben retired, he said, there's not one way to skin a cat, right? I do it with the TB12 method, vegan, healthy, yada, yada. Big Ben does it with the ice, the ice method, right? Get Beat the shit, throw some ice on it, you'll figure it out, you'll be okay. I loved that. Um, but yeah, from t- 2000 to 2011, Brady went 140 and 41, He threw for over 45,000 yards and 338 touchdown passes, won 16 playoff games, three of which were Super Bowls. I mean, he's had some crazy stretches, right? Uh, When we look at some of the the things that he ranks first all-time as the GOAT, he's got the most wins, 243. 15 Pro Bowls, five Super Bowl MVPs, 316 career starts, 7,263 completions, 11,000 attempts, 84,520 passing yards, 624 touchdowns, 101 three-touchdown games, and 39 four-tutty games. In the postseason, he has the most appearances with 19. 47 games started, 35 wins, 10 Super Bowl appearances, 7 wins, 1,100 completions, 13,000 yards, 86 touchdowns, 14 game-winning drives, and nine fourth quarter comebacks. Tom Brady is a legend. I don't think he will be forgotten in the next probably ever. Um, Obviously, people felt a certain way about him leaving New England out in his retirement speech. He is technically still with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but he is supposedly going to sign a one-day and retire with New England. I'm sure he will relive those days and talk about it as well. But as a competitor, he kind of kind of got burned, wanted to go prove himself. He did. And uh, now he gets to spend time with family. And I'm sure Giselle is dancing on the table with excitement. But enough of the old guys. Let's talk what happened in championship weekend. Because these young men, these young boys are out here playing. And the first one is Joe Dan Burrow, man. Uh, Joe cool is what my ass this year I was completely wrong with the Bengals I'll own that any day of the week you could take it on my chin we reviewed my preseason predictions my Super Bowl predictions I've done damn good so if you want to knock me for the Bengals go for it I had them I believe at four wins this year just like last season I thought their offensive line and defense was going to be the death of them their offensive line hasn't been that good but Joe Burrow's been able to buy time he's a kind of a An artist escaping the sack, even though he does get sacked a lot. And uh, that defense, you know, it's been a lot of puzzle pieces, but that puzzle is pretty strong together. And the Chiefs really choked this one out. But um, at the end of the day, you got to give props to the Bengals. They found a way to win. They win 27 to 24. My preseason Super Bowl prediction was so close. I picked Chiefs Niners in a rematch. Both teams obviously lost. I really thought about picking the Rams in the, the Super Bowl the whole time. Ended up not doing that. So I was pretty damn close with the Rams as well, but had no clue with the Bengals. And I'm sure most of you didn't either. So if you guys had the preseason prediction before the season, the Bengals would be good, that good. Okay. You know, it is what it is. But some people might be like, Oh, I knew the Bengals would be pretty good. Pretty early. Cool. I mean, they beat the Vikings week one, blew out the Steelers week three, barely lost to the Packers week five, beat the Ravens. I mean, by mid season, you know, this team's pretty solid, But when they went on this stretch, beating the Raiders on the road, the Steelers again by 31 in Denver, Baltimore chiefs. You knew this team was solid, right? Joe Burrow, the offensive weapons that they have was going to get the job done. But this game, there's a couple things that we have to mention. The first one, the chiefs not getting any points being up before half, right? They had the lead. When we talk about the lead, it was 21 to 10. They're they're in the red zone, screwing around. They can't find a play, you know, people to get open. I believe there was about 10 seconds left, so more than enough time to have a couple plays. But with no timeouts left, the one thing you can't do is catch a ball short and not get in, or else you go to half. That's exactly what happened. I don't know if that was a miscommunication, if Pat Mahomes didn't realize that, if Tyreek Hill didn't realize that. You know, the, the play that they did is usually a touchdown. Obviously, the Bengals have seen plenty of tape on that play, They didn't let it happen. They also tried it again later in the game. It didn't happen. But you cannot catch that ball or you cannot throw that ball if this is the situation. Worst-case scenario, you got to take the three. We're talking this being not a regular season game. This is the AFC fucking championship. You have to find a way to win the game. And uh, you got to take every point that is given to you. And they didn't. And I think that was, you know, obviously it was costly. You have the field goal. Uh, This game doesn't go into overtime and... You find a way to win. You, you you don't catch that ball, you have another play. Maybe you get a touchdown, you easily win. I mean, who knows, but you have to take those points before half. The Chiefs were reduced to the worst single half of football on offense that we've seen in any game of Mahomes' era by expected points added. After posting a 98 quarterback rating in the first half, he posted a 1.4 in the second half, and in overtime, according to ESPN, Seth Walder, like you want to talk about a shutdown. I was so lost in the sauce of what the hell had happened. And ideally I was really just like, you know, how do you, how do you put this in perspective? It's like, is this, um, really the, the fault of the, the, the chief's offense? Is it the, the benefit of the, of the Bengals defense? And I watched back a, a few plays a couple times where they're in the red zone and Pat Mahomes is just not getting rid of the ball. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And he ended up taking some sacks, which was uncharacteristic for him. And literally those receivers weren't getting open anywhere. Um, there was a couple plays towards the end of the, the game too where they didn't have Travis Kels on the field, right? It's technically Kels. He announced that, but people still call him Kelsey. I'm going to call him Kels. So if you're wondering why the fuck does Shane on Business and Buckets say Travis Kels, that's actually his name. Jason said Kels the whole team or the, both brothers, everybody else in the family. um, So that was kind of head-scratching as well, but you have to give props, right? Everyone wants to say, Kansas City, what a pathetic play. That, you know, you guys choked. You don't deserve it. You know, Pat Mahomes took the blame. But at the end of the day, you have to give props to this Bengals defense, and if the Bengals win the fucking Super Bowl, the one reason they're going to ha- win the Super Bowl is because that defense steps up. They cause issues with Matt Stafford up front, right? Sam Hubbard... Um, Trey Hendrickson, one of the best free agent sightings of the season, and they're going to be able to find a way to get uh, the receivers covered, which is not an easy task with OBJ. And obviously the man, the myth, the Cooper cup, but Mike Hilton, Jadobia woozy, right? Those types of guys are guys that have been written off. I mean, let's not be, let's be real. Mike Hilton was never written off. The Steelers decided to spend money elsewhere. He wanted his money. He got a team-friendly contract, went to a division rival and said, fuck you, it is what it is. But they're fighting these guys on these contracts that were a lot of them were cast-offs, right? Um, Eli Apple talking all that shit. These dudes, but they've done enough just to get the job done. And uh, I think they need to get more credit versus that the ch- Chiefs are choking because the Chiefs are running the same type of plays that they were, but they couldn't get anybody open. You can't, you know, what are you going to do if you can't get anybody open? But also, we'll talk the statistics here. I'm surprised that they didn't run the ball more. So let's look at the stats. Cool Joe, 23 of 38, 250 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. You know, first time being this far, solid play for sure. Joe Mixon did get 21 carries. He averaged, or he got 88 yards on those and averaged 4.2 yards per carry. So he had a solid day. You're averaging over four yards. You can't can't complain about that. T. Higgins led the team in uh, receiving. He did have 10 targets, only reeled down six of them, but he had 103 yards. He was just too big of a body. I've seen him put on Tyron Matthew. I've seen him on some of those cornerbacks. He's just too big of a body. They couldn't do anything about that. And Joe's going to put the ball where it needed to be. Jamar Chase did have six catches for 54 yards and a touchdown. Obviously, the Chiefs wanted to take away the play of him. He literally owned them by himself in this game. And I was surprised that they didn't just chance it and go go up big with him. But they didn't need to. They found a way to win. When they were playing from behind, I just kept wondering, why aren't you just giving it up to to Jamar Chase, especially if like a luxurious Sneed is on him like you did the last time because that clearly worked. That's literally how they beat the Chiefs in in the regular season. For the Chiefs, Pat Mahomes, 26 of 39, 275 yards, three touchdowns and two picks. One was a tipped ball right out the line. You know, so yeah, people are going to say he had two picks. This is totally on him. But again, the receivers weren't getting open. Um, it's, it's hard in the second half to figure out, figure out a way, but when you're up like that at halftime, run the ball more. I looked at the scripts, they ran, you know, on first down or second down, but then they would completely advert from it. The rest of the drive They're they're backfilled with one, two, three runners. Technically they average damn near six yards a carry. I I, I just don't understand why they couldn't kind of have run the ball more. I know the chiefs are different they do it their own way. They run one time, and then they go down the middle with Travis Kells. They run a triple reverse, all these jet sweeps, motions, whatever. But why why wouldn't you run the ball more? Jarek McKinnon had 12 carries for 65 yards. That's 5.4 average. And uh, Clyde's Edwards-Solaire had 6 for 36. That's a 6 per yard average. That's 18 carries. They had less carries together. When playing with the lead most of the game, than Joe Mixon did at 21. I think this is the biggest piece that people aren't attacking the chiefs on is why weren't you running the ball more and why weren't you giving at least more opportunity within your drives, right? Your drives were going three and out anyways, because all you were doing was passing the ball. You were stopping the clock. You were giving the Bengals more opportunity. Um, I can't remember what the time of possession difference was in the second half. We obviously have the full game stats here that I'm going to look at, but it was pretty preposterous uh, in the second half. So for me, I just feel like they needed to run the ball more. Travis Kelce did rack in 10 catches for 95 yards and a touchdown. Tyreek Hill second with 78 yards and a touchdown. Um, Defensively, the Chiefs had Legereus Sneed with 10 tackles, a tackle for a loss, and a pass defended. Again, you don't necessarily want your backfield leading your team in tackles because that probably means that they're giving up yardage. They're giving up chunks. That's why he has to get so many tackles. Uh, But the young stud, uh, Mr. Le'Jarius Sneed, did reel in an interception. For the Bengals defense, Wyoming's you know finest Logan Wilson with ten tackles. He's a tackling machine. Um, Sam Hubbard did get two sacks by himself. Trey Hendrickson uh, with a sack and a half and two QB hits as well on the on the day. And then Von Bell and B.J. Hill racked in those interceptions. Statistically, the Chiefs were six of twelve on third down. The Bengals eight of fourteen. The Chiefs out yarded the Bengals by twenty. They were minus one in the turnover differential, two to one. And the Bengals outpossessed the Chiefs by six minutes. But the second half time of possession was crazy lopsided. Um, but for me, the story Joe Cool finding a way. They played a mixed offense. It got them the win, even though I'm surprised they didn't throw to Jamar Chase more. And for the Chiefs, the points at half. I don't know what the receipt, you know, what the play, you know, was it the play calling where the receivers aren't running good enough routes? Did the Bengals have a, such a good schematic defense that the chiefs didn't change it up. Uh, but run the ball more. You're playing with the lead, run the ball more, get those guys involved. Right. They drafted Clyde Edwards. They had Jared McKinnon for a reason. 18 carries combined to the two less than Joe Mixon just doesn't make sense to me. And then the NFC, right? The, these were both Saturday. Um, they, they usually do that on the championship weekend, print them both on a day. It was nice because I got a snowboard on Saturday. Here, there was no snow yet. So, I was taking groomer days in, just having a fun time. It was like 50 degrees on the mountain. Um, I did get a promotion with my company. So, air high five. Uh, with that, I, I get a, a couple days to kind of t- relax, so to speak. And there was some snow that had finally come through at Mount Baker, my favorite ski hill in the state. And uh, I want to say about a foot fresh, 13 inches throughout the whole mountain. Got to ride, ride some nice, uh, canyon fresh powder runs throughout most of the day, so that was a nice blessing in disguise. But it was nice to take Sunday to sit back and relax. And I knew this game was going to be crazy, right? You you have those divisional games where it's the third time, and in the Rams situation, it's a little different. Now, sure, the Niners had been to the Super Bowl a couple of years prior, right? They have a lot of the same pieces of that puzzle that helped them make it to the Super Bowl, but you as a team could take a third matchup a certain way based on how the outcomes of the previous two were, right? Maybe I'm a left tackle, right? For, for the team that's lost twice. And I'm having to deal with a guy like Bosa who just steamrolls me and I know that we have to play him again. We got to find a way to win. Maybe the coach will scheme up something to give me some help. But point being, this is a very well-known matchup. Both units on both sides of the ball Know each other very well. They know who's beating who, what's going to happen, what plays to call, and at the end of the day, again, it's been a, a you know a pretty overall theme of playoffs. Give it to your playmakers, and when the game was on the line, when the Rams needed things the most, what did Stafford do? He went full Detroit. There ain't no Calvin Johnson, there ain't no Megatron, but he went to OBJ. And he went to his guy, Cooper fucking Cup, to get the job done. Now, before we talk about this, I have to bring up some stats while I was on my phone a second ago. Most scrimmage yards by receiver in a single season all-time. Cooper Cup, 2,200 yards. Debo Samuel, 2,014. And Cooper Cup almost had 3,000. 2,273. And then Jerry Rice... Who was first all time in 1995 until this year as 2006. Now, obviously, this includes postseason and there's an extra game. So these guys have a little bit of inflated numbers. But still, the offensive talent with Debo and Cooper Cup in this game and those numbers is insane. And then, quickly, just to give Joe Burrow the hype, you probably already know this, but no quarterback has won the Heisman, a national title, and the Super Bowl. Joe Burrow now has a chance to do it all in 3 years. I don't think he'll do it, but uh yeah. That's still fucking crazy. Heisman, a Natty, and a Super Bowl. The kid from Home Alone's all grown up. No, I'm just kidding. Um but yeah, Matt Stafford when they needed to get the job done, they went to their playmakers. Now this game, unlike the Chiefs game, I don't feel like There was a lot of things that you could knock the 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 coaching on, the calling on. The one thing that didn't make sense to me and didn't end up biting him in the ass was Sean McVay and those challenges, man. Those were such pathetic challenges. You could see him like, you know, he is this brainiac. He is this high-minded guy, and he's almost like a guy that's like on some Adderall that's just jittery and going all over the place. You could just see him on the sidelines with the headset. Someone on inside, I believe, was telling him, no, like, don't challenge it. And he's just reaching in, trying to think about it, reaching in, doesn't do it, doesn't do it, doesn't do it, throws it out. And um, both of those calls I thought were psychotic. And at, I don't know, 10 to 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter of the NFC Championship, they have no timeouts. And I'm thinking, you know, the Rams are talented enough. they, They shouldn't need them. But if it does come down to that, he is going to bite himself in the foot because he's going to really fuck the team. And that was really the only like nitpicky thing that from membranes that I could call out at this point was Sean McVay and the challenges, but it ended up not having to, it didn't really end up end up costing them. So let's look at the stats. So for the, the Niners who lost by three, Jimmy G was 16 of 30, 232 yards, two touchdowns and a pick Again, I've been saying this all all playoff. Jimmy G is what Jimmy G is. That's a very Jimmy G-like line. He's playing, gets a very good defense. So, you know, before you just want to go and say, God, he's trash, no team should want him. Um, He's playing fucking Von Miller, Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, and crew as well. But uh, some of the things that he did, he was just trying too hard. There was a play where he left the pocket. He wanted to toss it out. But this wasn't like, oh, shit, I want to toss it out. I would like to get this out of bounds and and, and get the next play and rule the game dead. No, I'm going to try to almost get sacked, toss it to my guy, hope he catches it and he could run down the field. I have no idea what's going to happen. Well, there was a guy sitting right there. The guy couldn't catch it because it was a shitty toss. It got tipped and was intercepted, right? So in crucial moments of the game, you cannot be doing things like that. I've seen Ben do it plenty of times as a Steelers fan. So, you know, it's human nature. These people are human right? Um, you know, they're not robots that play football, but that, that was just those types of things killed them. Um, Debo Samuel, their leading RB one with seven carries for 26 yards. He averaged 3.7. So they obviously were scheming up the Debo runs really well. Elijah Mitchell had 11 carries for 20 yards. It's a 1.8 average. He was getting eight up in the middle all day. I assume this would be the case. If you're the Rams, the first thing you have to do is stop the run. Uh, If the Niners run game gets going, it's going to be a completely different game. Now, Debo did lead the team in receiving with four catches for 72 yards and a touchdown. And Brandon Ayuk had 69 yards as well. George Kittle wasn't that involved. He had uh, two catches on five targets for 27 yards and a touchdown. I thought that they should have went to him more. I'm not sure, you know, again, I haven't watched the film back. I'm not an analyst that's spending my time able to watch the film just to talk about football here, but. How do you not give George Kittle the ball more? He has not been that involved through the playoffs. He could potentially be playing a lot more injured than, you know, what we've been led to think. But that that was surprising to me. They didn't give the ball to their playmakers outside of Debo. It's been the Debo show who's also playing injured. Um. So that, that was kind of a question mark to me. You know, Brandon Ayuk has stepped up. But the Rams didn't do that. They went to their playmakers. Stafford, he's out of Detroit. He's free, baby. He goes 31-45, of 337, two touchdowns and a pick. He had a 96.3 rating. Uh, Cam Akers got 13 carries for 48 yards. Sonny Michelle, 10 carries for 16 yards. Sonny averaged 1.6 per carry. Cam Akers, 3.7. I was interested to see how they managed Cam Akers after a terrible outing against Tampa Bay, who has an amazing run defense. And uh, he still averaged less than four, but they still gave him the lead back role. I'm glad they had Sonny more involved. They didn't let him be involved the game before. Obviously, the game, the run game was getting stuffed. Uh, but you got to keep him going because he's had a good, you know, he's gotten you here. He's had a good end of the season while Cam Akers was recovering from the Achilles. Um, but the run game didn't do too much. The Niners' front seven is pretty solid. So again, push comes to shove. We're we're talking in the fourth quarter. It was seventeen to seven Rams or excuse me, 17 to seven Niners, big plays. We need them. Cooper cup, 11 catches. They gave him 14 targets, 142 yards and two touchdowns. And OBJ, the guy that everyone thought was an afterthought, right? It was always his fault. Uh, nobody else's sure. was some things his fault. Yeah. Was he a baby in New York doing stupid ass shit? Absolutely. But can he play football? Absolutely. Uh, nine catches on 11 targets for 113 yards, and this team would not be in the Super Bowl if they did not acquire OBJ. All this gambling on picks has obviously paid off. Now they have to win it, and then they could say, good job, we we figured it out. But OBJ, one of the most crucial pieces at this the last quarter of the season here for the Rams. And yes, LA, SoFi was borderline a San Francisco home game, no surprise. Uh, we'll see what happens at the Super Bowl. I think it's going to be star-studded, right? The Super Bowl halftime show is going to be wild. Um, But Cincinnati fans, this is their first time. I'm sure they'll be in a force, but it's a long ways from Cincinnati, L.A. is. So we'll see what happens there. I'm interested to see. But I knew that SoFi couldn't avoid getting all the Niners fans there because that's what it was. All right. The Rams, their defense was led by Eric Weddle, who had nine tackles and a tackle for a loss. They did not get to Jimmy G one time. That is a surprising stat. I didn't even realize that until now. Not even one sack on the guy. Traven Howard had the interception. For the Niners, Ombre Thomas had 13 tackles. Fred Warner, the machine, 10 tackles, two tackles for a loss and a pass defended. And Nick Bosa had a, a six tackles, a sack and a half, two tackles for a loss and two QB hits. And Jimmy Ward had the interception on Stafford statistically the Rams were 11 of 18 on third down 0 for 1 on fourth the Niners 3 of 9 on third down the Rams out yarded the Niners by 110 yards both teams turned the ball over once and the Rams outpossessed the Niners by 11 minutes and that's the championship weekend obviously this weekend we get a buffer weekend it's the Pro Bowl I give zero shits about the Pro Bowl I never have my entire life I'm more excited about the dodgeball competition. I, I believe they're bringing that back this year. Uh, but super stoked for the Steelers. They got uh, Deontay Johnson and Najee Harris as a rookie into the Pro Bowl. Such so Jamar Chase and Joe Mixon will be playing in the Super Bowl. Really awesome accomplishments by them. I think they're more than deserving. And then we have the Super Bowl February 13th, later than usual. Yep, that's right, because of the 18-week season. And I'll save a lot of the preview on this for next week, but goddamn, all I have to say is how is that offense with the Bengals going to survive the defensive front of of the Rams? Um, That really is the story at the end of the day. And can that Bengals defense somehow find a way to stop OBJ and Cooper Cup like they did with the Chiefs offense the second half? That's going to be the question to answer. That's really what it comes down to, in my opinion. I'm leaning heavily to the Rams right now. The Rams are favored by four and a half according to Vegas. And that seems a little, that seems like a friendly spread. Yes. I've talked down on the Bengals all year. Yes. I have picked them to lose every game in the playoffs and they are here. Would I be shocked if the the Bengals won? Not completely, Uh, but I'm willing to put a good amount of money where my mouth is with the Rams on this one. Uh, So we'll break that down next week. But boy, man, what a I, I feel like I'm getting old. It's just it's this new era. No more Eli, no more Phillip. no more Ben, no more Tom Brady now, no more Peyton Manning. It's like that chapter is officially closed. Now we got Joe Burrow, Pat Mahomes, Justin Herbert, so on and so forth. The league is on a new era. It's like this new Malik Willis kid that everyone's looking at. He's got, you know, he's got the thing that we call arm angles, the athleticism. Those game ch- changing things. The kids are just bred different nowadays. But let's talk UFC because we got another card coming back after a week off. And then a massive, I mean fucking massive UFC 271 card in two weeks. Headlined by Israel Adesanya, Robert Whitaker. I mean the prelims are stacked. The main card stacked. There's fights in the early prelims. Uh, So next weekend is going to be Savage. UFC 271, the Super Bowl. I know it's going to be a big betting weekend for me. Hopefully yourselves as well. I can't wait. But let's talk what's happening this week. It is a UFC Fight Night card, and like you know, most it starts early. The prelims are starting at 1 p.m. Pacific. The main card at 4 p.m. Uh, they're streaming only on ESPN Plus. Uh, if you have ESPN Plus, you could watch the replays. I will not be watching that. I will be snowboarding again trying to get some some skiing in, pay for that pass that I got. Um, But you'll be able to watch the replays um, if you own ESPN or if you have an ESPN Plus subscription. But before we talk about the card, let's talk about some fights that have been announced. Last weekend, there was a Bellator event. Eagle FC will break down quickly as well. Uh, Cowboy Donald Cerrone is taking on Joe Lozon, a nice little vet affair. Uh, That'll be a fun fight. See Cowboy back in the octagon. Jan Blakovich is pulling out of his fight against Alexander Raichik, which is a total bummer. This was going to be an awesome fight. They are looking for a new opponent for Raichik. Uh, I would love to see both of them in the octagon soon. So hopefully Jan heals up and we do get a fill in opponent for, for Alexander. Um, Amanda Nunez and Juliana Pena, not completely finalized yet, but are looking to be the new coaches for the ultimate fighter. I think that would be awesome. Uh, Juliana's, you know, she's a Venezuelan. She's, she's got that sassiness to her. She'd be fun to watch on TV, coaching against Amanda Nunez and team. And, uh, for the fighters, you get the goat, you get the goat and you get the goat slayer. So you couldn't complain about that. Uh, Jeremy Stevens, no longer with the UFC after 34 fights in 15 years. This guy is literally, if you could type in a brawler, a fighter, something like Jeremy Stevens would pop up. And he is no longer going to be with the UFC. He feels like he couldn't get a good fight. A fight that was worthy of him as a vet at the age that he's at. that kept giving him these young guys. Um, you know, basically the last of him in the UFC was pushing uh, his opponent, getting him hurt, getting him whiplash, pulling out of the fight last minute. But he is going to the PFL. He is going to do everything he can do to win a million dollars. And I don't blame him. I would not be surprised if he wins a million dollars. I'd have to see who's in his weight class. Uh, but bravo for an amazing UFC career, Jeremy Stevens. I, I remember a lot of crazy fights he's been a part of. Holly Holm is going to fight Ketlin Vieira. That's going to be a fun fight. Holly Holm hasn't been in action for quite some time, so we get to see her back into the octagon. Alexander Gustafson, you know, moved up to heavyweight. He's taking on old big Ben Rothwell in a heavyweight clash. That'll be a banger for sure. Another heavyweight matchup as Blagoy Ivanov is taking on Marcos Rogério de Lima. Some heavy-handed dudes. It's going to be a fun fight. Um, we're about to break this down, but Brendan Allen is filling in for Phil Haas against the Sam Alvey this weekend. Phil Haas, I'm not sure what had had him pulled out. I, I believe it was illness, uh, potentially injury. So Brendan Allen, Brendan all in. Allen is all fucking in. He's going to fight on short notice. You love to see it from the young stud. Uriah Hall booked against Andre M- Munez. You want to talk about a fight? That is going to be a fucking fight. Uh, Nikita Krylov versus Paul Craig. Outside of the UFC octagon, Jake Paul versus Mike Tyson isn't going to happen. Probably ever, most likely, according to Jake Paul. So there's been reports that that was in the talks potentially going to happen. Said it wasn't finalized. Well, get that out of your minds. It's probably not happening. And that's for a good, a good thing. So we had Eagle FC this weekend. Um, Mr. Uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov in action, Chel Sonnen, Henry Cejudo. Um, I can't remember who else, but a a cool little casting crew talking about the fights live. It was a cool setup. According to Ali, uh, one of the fighting managers that's involved said that the numbers were outstanding. It was a free fight. I have no idea if that's bullshit. He always seems to, he's like a salesman. Everything's great, right? Um, so, I don't know if that's completely true, but uh, I had watched a couple fights here. I wanted to tune in for Ray Borg, Rashad Evans, and Tyrone Spong. Uh, there was obviously some other fights. I won't speak into those because I'm not very educated on them. I'm going to talk to you guys about something that I know. Um, Ray Borg was able to defeat Cody Gibson via unanimous decision after the first round, basically getting waxed by the longer, linkier Cody Gibson. And then he goes full Mexicana, gets in there. The Mexican devil or Tasmanian devil uh, is his nickname, something like that. And he was able to get in and just grit out a win, classic Ray Borg style. So that was fun to see. Rashad Evans going full wrestling, uh, going back to the box, getting some nice octagon time, going full rounds. He wins uh, via unanimous decision versus Gabriel Checo. And then Tyron Spong basically just got... Got handled by someone with a, a, a wrath of experience. Spong, a hard-hitting, fast-handed guy. It didn't matter when there's, there's a guy that's twice your size, coming in you, clinching on you, laying on you, grinding on you. It, it just, once once he got taken down, I knew it was over. But Sergei Kartanov with a uh, second-round TKO over Tyron Spong. Uh, so it was a fun little card. I enjoyed it. Um, was the quality necessarily... You know, what I had expected, not necessarily there, you know, I'm more excited for like the Motown Phenom, some of the younger fighters, but it was cool to see nonetheless, giving some more guys some opportunity, you know, Bravo to Kapib, his crew and everyone involved in Eagle FC now that it's in the States. And then Bellator 273 went down. Um, Ryan Bader defeating Valentin Moldovsky, via unanimous decision. This was a very close fight. This was much of a wrestling fight. Uh, But Ryan Bader grinding his way back through in the heavyweight division, beating Moldovsky for the championship. Um, You know, he's he's just kind of owned Bellator for quite some time. So that was cool to see him get the W. But the one that was the most impressive, Benson Henderson beating Islam Mamadov, who is a training partner with Khabib uh, via split decision. I believe he was undefeated, maybe one loss coming into this fight. A guy that's very highly touted. And, and he did what you would expect him to do, a Dagestanin, Dagestanian. He took him down. He grinded him out. But Benson Henderson is talented on the bottom. He was finding submission attempts. He kept the fight flowing. He was able to take the lead, get some shots from the bottom, even though that uh, he, he got taken down multiple times and got out-wrestled. But he was able to win via a very close split, split decision. But he was the more active fighter, even though Islam was able to take him down and, and get top control. That wasn't you know, that wasn't the the whole way the fight went. Benson was able to do a lot from the bottom, do some reversals, submission submission attempts, get up, get down. He pulled guard a few times. He, He went for some deep guillotines. He did a little bit of everything. Um, but Benson Henderson at the latter half of his career to beat a young stud like that. I mean, that's the type of shit you see in promotions outside the UFC. Uh, but Bravo to Benson Henderson, his, his legacy lives on. I couldn't believe it. I I would have never guessed. And then after Bader won, Bellator right after the fight, which was kind of cool. You know, the UFC, you never know what's going to happen. It's like a waiting game. Uh, But Bellator announces that Ryan Bader is going to fight Czech Congo in the rematch, May 6th. Czech Congo won the first one. That's going to be a fun one. Uh, Two UFC veterans that are now in Bellator. Can't wait for that. And then in boxing... Tyson Fury announced against Dylan White. So we do get to see the Gypsy King back in the ring soon. Excited for, for that action. But I'm more excited about the UFC this weekend. Uh, like I said, ESPN Plus card. It's Saturday. Julian is fighting. 14-0, Shavkat Rachmanov will be fighting. But we're not going to talk about their fights. We're going to start in the prelims with Hakeem Mean Dawudu the 30-year-old fighter with a 12-2-1 record, taking on Michael the Lone Wolf, wolf Trezano, 30 years old with a 10-1 record. Hakeem has a background in Muay Thai and kick kickboxing. He he lost the last fight to Movsar Evloev, who just pulled out against Tapiria. Um, But he took that loss after a five-fight winning streak. Seven of his 12 wins are via knockout. He has a two-and-a-half reach advantage. Meanwhile, Michael is an Ultimate Fighter alum. He's on a one-fight winning streak after taking his first loss to Grant Dawson after returning to featherweight. But this is going to be a fun fight. That's why we're talking about it. Uh, Fighters in their prime. They're both on their way up in the the featherweight division. But to me, Hakeem's got more of that it factor. So I'm going to take Hakeem. I'm going to put that shit on my parlay confidently. Mark it down. And let's get that bread. And then to the main card. Basically, we finally get the Ultimate Fighter Championship. We have Treshawn Mr. Vicious Gore, 27 years old with the 4-0 record, taking on Brian Bear" Battle, who's 27 years old with the 7-1 record. Again, this fight should have been the Ultimate Fighter Championship, but Gore had to pull out of the competition due to injury. I believe Gore was Brian Ortega's number one overall pick. You know, maybe he took the, there was two weight classes this season. The, the lower weight class guy first than him, but regardless, he's technically his number one pick. He is five and O in his pro and amateur fights, but this will be his UFC debut. He trains out of the American top team. Meanwhile, battle is technically making his UFC debut as well. Although he did win the tough uh, championship beating Gilbert Urbina who stepped in for Treshawn Gore, but that counts. Four of uh, Battle's seven wins are via submission. These fighters have quite different styles. Gore likes to come forward in your face. He's a great striker. Battle likes to counter. He, he uses his length to his advantage. And he does like to grapple. So this should be a great fight. Brian was not a very highly picked guy in Ultimate Fighter, but showed how much he had learned on the show, how much he has grown. But I do believe Gore is too talented and well-rounded. Uh, battle's been counted out. He's proved us wrong before. But I am going to take Treshawn Gore in this fight. I am marking it down, putting that in the parlay, and we get in that bread. And then the, the the fill-in fight, the short-notice fight. Sam Smilin' Alvey, the 35-year-old veteran, with a whopping record of 33 wins, 16 losses, and a draw, taking on Brendan Allen Allen, 26 years old with a 17 and 4 record. This is literally the classic vet versus potential phenom fight. Alvi is a southpaw fighter that has fought in multiple weight classes, but this is his third fight back at middleweight. He has a brown belt in BJJ. He has fought in Bellator and is an Ultimate Fighter alum. 19 of his 33 wins are via knockout. He hasn't won in the UFC since June of 2018, and he is on a six-fight losing streak with a draw. Not a good momentous streak. Allen is coming off a loss to veteran Chris Curtis. Action man Curtis, who was the story of the last half of last year, in my opinion. He was two and three in 2021. Um, he's, he won two of three in 2021. So he was active. He's trying to climb up the ranks. As a young stud, nine of his 17 wins are via submission. He has a black belt in BJJ. He trains with the Killers at a Sanford MMA. And he is a Dana White Contender Series alum, which obviously got him out of the LFA into the UFC. In this fight, I do believe Allen is going to come out with a great game plan after the Curtis loss, you know, losing to a vet. I'm assuming he probably overlooked. And Alvi is fighting for his UFC life. But I think the young Allen is just too talented. He finds a way to win, he's a big Vegas favorite. I'm going to take Brendan. I'm all in put it in my parlay, let's get that bread. Although, I overlooked Chris Curtis, you never know. Sam Alvey's been there, but I'm all in with Brandon, all in Allen. And then we have Puna, Healy, Puna Soriano, the 29-year-old fighter with an 8-1 record, taking on Nick Maximov, who's 24 years old with a 7-0 record. Puna is a Dana White Contender Series alum, and he trains out of extreme couture. Five of his eight wins are via knockout. He's coming off a unanimous decision loss against Brendan Allen, where he gassed out, but he is 3-1 and one in the UFC. He, was, he has a wrestling background. He was a high school champion and a D3 wrestler at Warburg College in Iowa, where he earned All-American honors and placed seventh overall. He got into MMA by working with Dan Ige, who's a stud, Meanwhile, maximov he does have a 3.5-inch reach advantage. He is also a Dana White Contender Series alum. And he is undefeated and 2-0 in the UFC coming from the LFA. And he trains in the Nick Diaz Academy. Now, these are two very young fighters that should have great careers. But I'm taking the power of Puna because I've seen him put some lights out. Uh, You know, I do think Nick finds a way, if he does find a way at 24 years old, would be making a huge splash in the middleweight rankings but i'm gonna go with punahili i'm putting him on my parlay mark that ish down and let's get that bread then the main event and boy is not a main event right these fight night cards aren't always as deep but this one is the one that we all want to watch jack the joker hermanson 33 years old with a 22 and 6 record and the number six next to his name taking on Sean Tarzan Strickland, the 30-year-old fighter with a 24-3-1 record and the number seven next to his name. Now, Jack has a background in Greco-Roman wrestling and Muay Thai. He has fought in a few promotions, including Bellator. He's coming off an impressive win and has won two of his last three fights. 11 of his 22 wins are via knockout. He has fought at the highest level in the division. Meanwhile, Sean, he's a brown belt in BJJ. He is a lunatic. I'm just kidding, but he is. Uh, but he the lunatic is on a five fight winning streak. He was 2-0 oh in the UFC in 2021. 10 of his 24 wins are via knockout. And he's just now entering his fighting prime, but doesn't quite have the fighting experience as the joker. He was the 2021 come, or 2020 comeback fighter of the year after a serious biking accident, potentially could have ended his career. But the idea of these two motherfuckers in a striking battle is very interesting. That's what makes this fight so much fun. I do think Jack relies to his strengths in wrestling to get him the victory. This fight, either way, is a certified banger and one that's going to be back and forth, and that I've been waiting for since we announced, since it's been announced. Both guys technically in their fighting prime. It's going to be fun. Jack wins this. He gets right back up into the contenders row where he's been before. Sean wins this. This will be his first opportunity to leap in to the top dogs of the division. Who wants it more? I don't know, but I'm going to take Jack. I'm putting him down. We getting him on that parlay, and we making this bread. Again, next up next week, a huge, huge UFC 271 card. Izzy versus Robert Whittaker, too. Can't wait. But let's talk NBA. Basketball's deep into the season. The trade deadline's looming. Draymond Green gets a contract with Turner Sports as an active player. He's in part of podcasting as well. Uh, He must be bringing in ratings because he's getting jobs everywhere. Sad news for the Utah Jazz fan base, including myself. One of my favorite all-time Jazz players. A guy that's been doubted throughout his career, been overlooked. Joe Ingles tears his ACL and potentially could be the end of his NBA career. If I had a Joe Ingles jersey, I'd be rocking that shit right away. Uh, you know, definitely brutal. Uh, it affected the, t- the players in the locker room. It was devastating news. Heal up Joe Ingles. You're an amazing player, not only for the team, but for the city of Utah, the autistic people out there with you and your children, the way you guys are handling that and help spread awareness. Has been amazing. Nothing but respect to Mr. Joe Ingles. Again, the trade deadline is coming up. That's February 10th. So we're technically this night, eight days away, seven days from when you guys can stream this or, or or watch it live on YouTube. Not live, but watch the video on YouTube. So basically a week away from the trade deadline. And with that, All-Star Weekend is right around the corner. The NBA All-Star starting rosters have been announced. In the East, you have... KD, no surprise. The Greek Freak, no surprise. Joel Embiid in a a big-time season this year, no surprise. Trey Young, mm, I'm a little surprised. DeMar DeRozan, no surprise. One of his best seasons ever in the Chicago Bulls. On the West, LBJ, no surprise. Reigning MVP, Nikola Jokic, no surprise. Andrew Wiggins, a little surprise. Steph Curry, John Morat, not surprised. Um, obviously we could talk all day about who's being, uh, who's being snubbed. I'm sure Chris Paul, James Harden, Luka Doncic should be getting in for some reserve spots, potentially, uh, getting some votes as well. I thought there was a slap into a face to a few players. Uh, the jazz getting no respect per usual, right? With the COVID injuries, everyone just going to write them off. Um, but yeah, um, Bravo to those guys making it. Can't wait to see what the what the reserves are. And at least All-Star weekend and NBA is a lot more fun than the Pro Bowl. I always enjoy it. Can't wait to see who's a part of the dunk contest, the three-point contest. But they have announced the Rising Stars roster. For the rookies, it's Scotty Barnes, Cade Cunningham, Ayo Dosunmu, who's having a great stretch right now, Chris Darte, who's, Duarte, who's looking great for Indiana, Josh Giddy. Jalen Green, Herbert Jones, Davion Mitchell, Evan Mobley, Alperin Sangoon, Jalen Suggs, and Franz Warner. If you're a March Madness fans, lots of familiar names here. Sophomores, Precious Achua, Cole Anthony, Lamello, Desmond Bain, Sadiq Bey, Anthony Edwards, Tyrese Halliburton, Tyrese Maxey, Jaden McDaniels, Seattle's Federal Way's finest, I should say, Uh, Isaac Okoro, Isaiah Stewart, Jason Tate, and then the G League, they're adding Marjan Bouchamp, uh, Dyson Daniels, Jaden Hardy, and Scoot Henderson. Lots of young studs. That'll be fun to watch once NBA All-Star Weekend comes up. Um, But before we talk that, we're going to break down uh, another East-West team. This week in the East, we're going to talk Chi-Town, talk the Chicago Bulls. If we look at what they've done the last 10 games, they're 5-5, five and five, so they are at a little bit of a downhill trend, but a lot of that was because Zach Levine wasn't playing. But they're still up a game in the East, a game above Miami, a game above Philly, and a game and a half ahead, Cleveland and Milwaukee. The top six spots, which Brooklyn is now in sixth, is literally three-game separation. You want to talk about a tight race, the East is eight games from 10-1. to one. And Chi-Town's up top. When we look at their injuries, obviously Zach Levine is back. Um, He had a back strain, some issues. Uh, Derek Jones Jr. is out. Um, He has a splint on his fingers going through a finger injury. Lonzo Ball is still out. He will undergo surgery. He underwent surgery in January, late January, to repair a small meniscus tear in his left knee. So that looks like it's going to be uh, not a very fast recovery. Obviously, the controversy with Grayson Allen and the Alex Caruso injury. Uh, He's going under surgery to address his fractured wrist. Uh, That was late January. And then Patrick Williams, a big time. What is this guy? It's got to be a second year, right? Maybe third. COVID time, i am always got to double check myself. But yeah, this is his second year. I drafted him as a rookie in fantasy. Didn't really work out for me. Uh, but he underwent surgery to repair torn ligaments in his wrist as well. Was expected to miss four to six months, so he could come late season playoff time. Um, but they have had their fair share of injuries. And their depth has stepped up, man. This team has gotten some players, man. Ayo uh, Sunmu, technically the starting point guard now with ball out. Really looking great. Um, having an amazing year as a rookie. And when we made amazing, he's averaging... 7.7 points, but again, this is a lot of this, you know, has increased recently. 2.7 rebounds, uh, 2.3 assists. Look at some of his games recently 13 and 9, 7 points, 11 assists, 10 and 7, 6 and 7. So he's playing scrappy basketball, doing his thing as a rookie. Uh, Kobe White, another early pick that they had had. Um, basically turning into their six man off the bench. He's averaging 12.8 points. So he's leveling up as well. Zach Levine, obviously doing his thing as long as well as DeMar DeRozan. Zach Levine's averaging 24.9 points. That's 14th in the league. And Mr. DeMar motherfucking DeRozan. I love to see this 26.5 points a game. That's six in the NBA. 5.1 rebounds, 5 assists, and he is 12th and per in the NBA. Now, they had a big trade for Nikola Vucevic. I thought he would be doing a little bit better. But you look at his numbers, they're pretty fucking solid. 16.8 points a game and 11.4 rebounds. He's getting a double-double. He's playing his part. It's hard to get more points when you don't play on the Orlando Magic anymore and you have some actual hoopers on the squad. But how about this? Javante Green. I added him on my fantasy team. This is his fourth year. He comes from uh, Radford, of all places. But the kid's averaging 6.5 points per game, 4.2 rebounds, and has been a crucial part of the lineup as of late. Um, outside of that, they do have Matt Thomas, Alphonso McKinsey, McKinney, excuse me, Tyler Cook, Tony Bradley, ex-Jazz player, Troy Brown Jr. Um, but yeah, Javante Green and Dun- Sunmo is the reason they are first in the East. With uh, injury to to Lonzo Ball, uh, but the way that this team stepped up, they're a fun, scrappy team, and it's a it's a kind of a misfit team. You got the studs and Levine, and obviously, some people would say Demar Derozan wasn't as much of a stud, but now he comes to Chicago and he literally just matches his game so well. Uh, Nikola Vucevic, we already knew he was a stud, and having the young players like Kobe White and DeSumeo step up in this line lineup, they're going to be a team to watch out for. Now, do I think they finish first in the East? I do not. Can they finish top five? I do believe so. And are they a team that you want to play in the playoffs? I would not want to play them. In the East, it is an open race. Anyone shot this year. This is a team to get your eyes on. And they're a fun team to watch. If they're on TV, I'm tuning in if I can. Uh, Obviously, there's a shit ton of basketball games. And I don't watch them as frequently as I used to. But the Bulls are a fun team. The Bulls are a fun team. They are 32-18. and That is nuts. First in the East. A team that's not enjoying quite the the winning that the Bulls are. We're going to talk about the L.A. Lakers. LeBron, James, and crew. Uh, When we look at their injuries, they're dealing without Kendrick Nunn. Uh, He was a big offseason piece. He had a setback in his rehab in January. Uh, His debut is going to be delayed. There is no timetable for him. Uh, But obviously, they have some young players in the rotation. Austin Reeves has stepped up from Oklahoma. Uh, They also have Malik Monk, who's had some flaming light games. And then they have the veteran, Avery Bradley, who does a little bit of everything, but uh, isn't much of a scorer at this point in his career. Talking about scoring, Russell Westbrook getting knocked all the time. When we look at his stats on the season, he's averaging 18.9 points per game. 7.8 rebounds, 7.7 assists. I have spoke about Russbrook Westbrook as strongly as anybody. I do not think he is a piece that is part of a winning formulation. I honestly was shocked when the Lakers had added him to his team. I don't know if this was LeBron. You know, he's that good of friends with Russell. He said, "Make it happen." Uh, But it still just doesn't make much sense to me that that's the guy that you went after. They've dealt with COVID just like everybody else. Anthony Davis was out for some time, but he's back in the lineup. The team in the last 10 games is three and seven. So they haven't found that winning formula. Let's look at their schedule recently. So they lost to on the road. Oh damn. They were on a big road stretch. one, two, three, four, five, six games on the road. They went one and one, two and, two, three, two and four in that stretch. At Orlando, they won. At Miami, they lost. At Brooklyn, they won. At Philly, at Charlotte, at Atlanta, they lost on the road. So now they get a nice home stretch entering February. And of course, in a laker like fashion, in a LeBron James fashion, they're on prime time. We're talking TNT Thursday, TNT Tuesday, ABC, ABC, ESPN, ESPN, ESPN. They literally have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight primetime games in a row towards the end of February. So You'll be seeing a lot of the Lakers, but can they turn it around? Can they avoid the play-in? That's really what I've been talking about all season is can they get past that play-in mark? I think that's where we're looking at for a ceiling in this team. And when this man, the GOAT, is doing these types of things, man, LeBron James, third in the league, 29.1 points per game, 7.7 rebounds, 6.3 assists, and he's fourth and per. You would think that they have a chance. But there's just a lack of supporting cast performance. AD, um, last year, averaged 23.2 points per game. He doesn't have a lot of numbers to give him an official... Or Actually, no. He's averaging 23.2 points per game this season. He averaged 21.8 last year. So he can score. He's got to get back into momentum. But they need Anthony Davis to be the best version of Anthony Davis. He's averaging... 9.5 rebounds and 2.8 assists this season. Dwight Howard is not a spring chicken anymore. He's 36 years old. He's averaging five and five, right? He's a big body. He can get some rebounds, but outside of that, he's not doing that much for you. When we look at the wings, right now we have Stanley Johnson in the starting lineup. He's averaging 6.2 points per game. He is only 25 yards or 25 yards, 25 years old, right? A lot of people want to write off these kids in the NBA so early. He was a fr- eighth round or first round pick eighth overall from Arizona, not that long ago. Um, So, you know, he's had his moments, but I just haven't seen anything. That's like, Oh my gosh, Stanley Johnson's, you know, this is the guy that we thought would come out of the draft. And that's not great. You have Carmelo on the bench, obviously. bench. Obviously he's averaging 13.4 points a game. So he's there, but again, he's not a spring chicken anymore either. So it really comes down to our other players. well, Avery Bradley again, averaging 6.8 per game. He's not much of a scorer. Austin Reeves is just a little baby. He does have a nice shot. He could figure it out. He's had some moments in Oklahoma. He's averaging 5.9 points per game. Um, Malik Monk's in the part of the rotation. He's averaging 12.6. He'll drop 35 one night and drop three the other. And then Wayne Ellington is part of this as well. He was a sharpshooter in Miami, but he is 34 years old. We look at the last few games. I mean, he's Scoring 3339, you know, probably hitting a three or two that he's shooting. So yeah, this team, oh, there's Trevor Ariza on here as well. There's Kent Bazemore as well, but they're not they're they're lost in the lineup. My whole whole point being going this deep is there's no source of buckets. The only buckets that this team is going to get is LeBron continually getting 30 points a night, but Anthony Davis having to damn near do that as well. Um, Russell Westbrook is way too streaky. Let's say Russell Westbrook's having a good night. I'm sure Stanley Johnson, um, Monk, it's not doing a 35.9. It's a 3.9. There's not consistent offensive efficiency. You have to have these high level performances like LeBron scoring 30 plus a night for them to get wins. And that's not sustainable. When we look at their defense, they have some defense defenders, but they're older, right? Besides Anthony Davis, everyone here is older. They're going to need Anthony Davis at 28 years old to play like Rudy Gobert for the Utah Jazz. That's the type of level. He needs to, ha- you know, it needs to be the AD factor, the brow factor, whatever you want to call it. No one wants to come into the paint. They're, they're double second, you know, triple thinking about their shots because he's all up in their face with his long reach. I just don't see that happening. When we do forecast their schedule here, right, they, they just went on that home stretch. They have some home games, but. We look at this easily right out the gate. You could see that they got to play some teams, man. We're talking, uh, I guess this isn't really, you know, but Clippers still not that easy. The Knicks, they play Milwaukee, golden state, Utah, Dallas, golden state. No, they do play in the West, Toronto, Phoenix, Philly. So they, they just have a tough schedule going through. Um, it's too early for me to just say, Hey, this is where they're going to finish, but three and seven, in their last 10 they're at the nine spot, unless something major happens at the trade line, which I'm not expecting a lot of action. To be honest, I'm expecting maybe like a Harrison Barnes is a big name, you know, a couple of names like that, like the mid level that make transitions, but I don't expect a ton of big names to be, to be moved here. I think this off season we're going to see a lot more. Um, but I, I see them right around the seven to nine spot, maybe the six spot. I don't think they're ever going to pass Phoenix, Golden State, Memphis, jazz, Dallas, Probably not the Nuggets if Jamal Murray comes back and Jokic stays healthy. So they could potentially pass the Clippers and the Timberwolves. But I just do not see that happening, that they get out of the play-in. It's going to be very interesting with the Lakers what happens. Um, Lots of drama. Lots of prime time. We'll hear about them everywhere. That's the Lakers for you. So let's talk uh, hoops and what had happened since our last podcast, since we had talked last week. Um, as you look at the standings, right, the Suns are, are, are back up top in the West. They're three games ahead of the Warriors. And then there, you know there's some gaps in between the teams. Grizz 7.5, Jazz 11.5. Um, four through six are pretty close, which is Utah, Mavericks, and Nuggets. And then we already talked about the East, how freaking tight of a ship that is. So since last week, we will um, talk about Friday, because we talked about, uh, about the Thursday TNT doubleheader. We had the Hornets beat the Lakers at home. I got this damn thing to load. 117 to 114. My, uh, Miles Bridges staying hot. 26-8-6. What a season he's having. Uh, while Russell Westbrook was 35-4-5. and five. So again, the Lakers just not able to keep up with the scoring of the Hornets. Although Russell Westbrook did lead the team, he was 12 of 23 from field goals, three of seven from downtown, which isn't a terrible Westbrook line. But this was without LeBron James, that was too big of a hurdle for them to handle. Uh, the Hornets had other great performances besides Miles, as Lamelo Ball had 20 points, seven rebounds, and a plus 21 on the day, and Terry Rozier with 20 and six, and also Ish Smith off the bench for 22 and five. So too much for them to grasp without Mr. LeBron James in action for the team. Also, this past Thursday, lost my spot here, or not Thursday, Friday, we had the Hawks take down the Celtics pretty handedly 108-92 at home. For the Celtics, they were led by Jalen Brown with 26 points but on 22 field goals. And Jason Tatum, 20 points on 17 field goals for minus 10 and minus nine, respectively. While John Collins at 21 and nine playing hoops for whether it's going to be a staying on the team or whether he's getting traded, he's still hooping. You got to love you some John Collins and the nice trade, the all-star starter. This is why I'm like, "Eh, should he have earned it 21 points, but on 25 shots, he was two of nine from three, but the Hawks find a way to win the Celtics. Woes keep continuing and, um, You know, as we look at it now, the Celtics are at number nine, the Hawks at number 10. Uh, Disappointing seasons for both squads. Also on Friday, the Miami Heat beating the Clippers 121 to 14. The Heat are looking pretty solid at this point in the season, even though they've done a lot of, you know, had a lot of COVID issues, injury issues as well. But for the Clippers, they were led by Luke Kennard off the bench, who went five of 11 from three and ended up putting up 23 points. For Miami, Jared Butler, Jimmy Bucket, or Jared Butler. Uh, just was watching the Heat game earlier. Jared Butler was playing, or the Jazz game. Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Buckets, 26, 9, and 6. Uh, Bam Adebayo, a pleasant sight back for Miami with 20 and 12. And then Gabe Vincent playing really good. Um, we'll have to cover the Heat soon. He put up 23, but him and Struce have been crucial role players for the squad. Uh, even Yurt 7 as well. Um, as Miami continues to stay top of the East, we'll have to break them down pot- potentially next week. Uh, also on Friday, the Bucks beating the Knicks in Milwaukee, one twenty-three to one hundred eight. Leading scorer, guess who? The Greek Freak with a nice thirty-eight and thirteen, very efficient numbers. He even shot six three balls. He went from two for six from downtown. Um, Drew Holiday with twenty-four and ten. Good to see him hooping at a high level. And Chris Middleton with 20 and 7. For the Knicks, they were led by Evan Fournier, uh, who had 25 and 7. Nice efficient game there. And RJ Barrett with 23 points, but on 20 shots. Moving into the weekend this Saturday, there was no football. You might have got some basketball action in. Um, the Raptors beating the Heat, as the Heat had two games back to back. But this one, they lost in triple overtime, 124 to 120. The Raptors were led by their trio. Pascal Siakam with 21 and 13. OG Anubi Nunbuy. Uh, it's hard to say, uh, 20 and 14. And then Scotty Barnes with 22 and nine. But Gary Trent Jr. has been getting the basket larger and larger each week, it seems like. He drops 33 points, five of five for 15. He had 28 shots, so not as an efficient night for Gary, but he's putting up massive lines. Jimmy Buckets tried his hardest through triple overtime with a nice 37-13-10 line. Um, And a lot of the other players were low double digits for Miami. Jimmy tried to take over. It wasn't enough. The Warriors beating the Nets in the Bay, in the Chase Arena. The the Nets were led by Kyrie with 32-8-7. A very nice, efficient line from Kyrie. But it wasn't enough as Andrew Wiggins had 24-8 uh, to lead the way for the warriors Heading into Sunday football Sunday. There was some basketball games. I don't think many were watching cause we were all watching football, but the Hawks beat the Lakers the Lakers keep losing in Atlanta. They were led by the all-star starter ice tray who had 36 and 12. He was four of 10 from three. So nice, efficient game, uh, on 22 shots. And the Lakers were led by Anthony Davis who had 27 points. But on 20 field goals for a big man, you don't like to see that. And Russell Westbrook had 20 points on 15 shots, 7 rebounds, 12 assists. And this was the Malink Monk, you know, the the outlier game. 33 points, 10 rebounds. He was 8 of 14 from 3. If they could get some consistent hooping like that, this would be a huge offensive score the Lakers need. Um, The Hornets dropped one big at home against the Clippers, 115-90. to The Clippers with a well-rounded game. Reggie Jackson with 19. Brandon Boston, um, the rookie, right, or a second-year player? Let's see. The rookie, the second-round pick out of Kentucky, really coming on towards the latter half of the year with some star players out. He puts 19 up off the bench. The Hornets were led by LaMelo Ball with 23-10. He had 19 shots to get there, though, in the defeat at home. Let's see what else. The Nuggets beating the Bucks on the road as Milwaukee drops this one 136 to 100. Uh, Denver was cruising. Aaron Gordon had 24 and 7. There was 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 players in double digits for the Nuggets. For the Bucks, they were led by the Greek Freak who had 29 and 9. And nobody else really had nice offensive outputs for the Bucks. So good D by the Nuggets, which is not very common to say. But they did it. The Suns eke one out against the Spurs on Sunday evening, one fifteen to one ten. The Suns stay hot, the number one in the West, led by of course Devin Booker, twenty eight points, but on twenty four shots, and McCall Bridges with twenty six and eight. Um, nice efficient line from Bridges. For the Spurs, they were led by Dougie buckets, Doug McDermott with twenty four points, six of nine from three, and Lonnie Walker the fourth. Uh, with 22 points off the bench as they battled, but the Suns came away with victory. Starting the week off on Monday, the Grizzlies dropping a close game to the Sixers on the road in overtime. The Grizz have been very hot of late, but Philly defends home court, and of course this was led by um, a non-Joel Embiid team, which is even bigger of a shocker. They had Tyrese Maxey pop off for 33 points, Uh, Tobias Harris stepping up as well, 31 points uh, for the the Sixers to hold on. Andre Drummond spot start for Joel Embiid, 16 points, 23 rebounds. That's Andre Drummond that we know. And for the Grizz, John Morant with 37 points, but had nine turnovers, uh, 37 points on 30 shots. And Desmond Bain with 34 and 7 and a nice efficient line in the loss in overtime. Also, start of the week, the Celtics smoking the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat were without Jimmy Butler and without, obviously, Kyle Lowry. The Heat were led by Max Struess, who had 27 points. Um, He's been a huge role player for for them when some of their guys have been out. And then the Celtics were led by Jalen Brown, who had 29 points in a nice, efficient line. Tatum with 20 and 12 as well as they blow out the Heat. In Boston, the Raptors beat the Hawks on the road. the ha- The Raptors have been cruising along lately; they're six and four in their last ten. They were led by Pascal Siakam, who had twenty five and six, and Gary Trent Jr. again staying hot, thirty one points, six rebounds. The Hawks were led by uh, Kevin Horder, twenty six points. He was five of six from three. Uh, no Trey Young in this game as Atlanta drops to. The Raptors cruising along to Tuesday. The Raptors beating the heat this time in Toronto in front of no fans. Uh, Toronto was led by Gary Trent jr. Again, 33 points. He's been getting 30 points a night, six of 10 from three. This is on 20 shots. A very efficient night from Gary Trent, Fred Van fleet with 21 and six himself. And Miami had bam in the lineup with 32 and 11, Uh, Jimmy Butler, 16 points, 12 assists, but it wasn't enough to keep up with Gary Trent Jr. and the Raptors in Toronto. The Warriors irked by the Spurs as well. The Spurs getting two top dogs in a couple of days. Could not find a way to win. The Warriors win on the road, led by Jordan Poole, 31-6. Although on 24 shots, he was 4-13 from 10. Moses Moody chipping in without Steph Curry, 20-7 from the rookie. And the Spurs were led by DeJounte Murray, who's had a great season, 27-9-9 in defeat at home. The night game, the Suns beating the Nets by 10-121-111. The Suns were led by Booker, who had 35 points. McCall Bridges with 27-8. He's been hot of late. And the Nets led by Kyrie Irving, of course, 26 points. James Harden with 22-10. and They're continuing... Continuing to play without Kevin Durant, don't forget. Coming into Wednesday, the Jazz beating the Nuggets tonight, one hundred eight, one hundred four. No Rudy Gobert, no Jordan Clarkson, no Donovan Mitchell, no Nikola Jokic. Lots of stars out, but the Heat or the Jazz were led by uh, Trent Forrest, who had eighteen and eight. Mike Conley was seventeen points as well, and then Bogey, Royce O'Neill, and. Rudy Gay off the bench for 15. The Nuggets were led by Bryn Forbes, who had 26 points. He was 4 of 5 from 3. The Lakers are barely beating the Trailblazers late into the 4th right now. Carmelo's leading the Lakers with 23 and 8. The Wizards upset the 76ers on the road. This time it was with Joel Embiid. The Wizards were led by Kyle Kuzma, 24 and 6. He's having a great year in Washington. Joel Embiid at 27 and four, but on 27 shots, and he was 0 of three from downtown in defeat. The Celtics beating the Hornets at home this time, 113-107. Um, although Lamelo Ball went off for 38 and nine, it wasn't enough. The Celtics were able to win with Jace. uh geez, he's been doing so bad. I almost forgot his name. Josh Richardson with 23 points. He was six of eight from three. He's been in trade rumors. He led the team in scoring in this victory. Again, although LaMelo had 38, Terry Rozier had 23, even though it was 22 shots. It's a scary Terry-like line there. Very scary. Um, and then the Rockets upsetting the Cavs at home. Jalen Green with 21-5-5. and The youth on display here. Evan Mobley with 29-12. and What a stud this kid is going to be. And the Knicks losing to the Grizz at home. The Grizz win 120-108. This time it was Jaron Jackson who had 26 points, 10 rebounds. He was 4 of 7 from 3. John Morant with 23 points on 27 shots. But Zare Williams, a little spot in the starting lineup with 21 points. The Knicks were led by Evan Fournier who's been hot of late. 30 points. He was 8 of 12 from 3. But it was not enough. That's some NBA action. We got to talk NBA. Keep breaking down these East West. We already talked about Miami. So might have to do that one, but let's talk college hoops. The new rankings coming out pretty much the same themes. There's a pretty accurate rankings at this point. In my opinion, Arizona and Houston to me are the overrated teams. Uh, That's the six and seven respectively. Arizona has dropped four spots, but they continually look like they're not a top 15 team. They're ranked seven. Houston six, they don't play anyone anytime soon. I would say they're 15 to 25, not that high. Um, Honestly, we're about to talk about Villanova. They could debatably be overrated at this point and Marquette underrated. Uh, But let's talk since last week. Um, On Thursday, the 27th, Wisconsin beating Nebraska as expected. Ohio State uh, beating Minnesota behind EJ Liddell who had 23 and 15. Nice little game for him. Uh, but USC dropping to Stanford 64-61. to 61. I've talked about how I believe USC is a very uh, overrated team, and they did not show out um, last week uh, to even be able to win in the Pac-12. So, you know, maybe, maybe I'm on the right track here. Uh, moving into Friday, lots of random-ass games. Anything big? Nothing happening on Saturday or Friday. Saturday, Villanova beating St. John's as expected. Auburn smoking Oklahoma, who's been an upset team here and there. Walker Kessler leads Auburn uh, with 21-9. and nine. Gonzaga destroys Portland, no surprise. Arizona beats Arizona State, still in a close game. Alabama upsetting Baylor 87-78. to 78. Alabama putting Javon Quinterly into the starting lineup, and it has done wonders. 20 points, 3 of 6 from downtown. Shackle Ford with 19 and 9 as they breeze through a very good Baylor squad led by uh, Adam Flager who had 16 points. Akinjo only with 8 points on 13 shots. That was the death of them. And Jeremy Sokhan with 17 points off the bench in defeat for Baylor. Kentucky cruises past Kansas. Kentucky really getting uh, their, their 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 car in gear, so to speak. Um, they had Chishwebe with 17 and 14. Um, Keon Brooks Jr. with 27 and 8. And Kansas was led by o- Obaji, who had 13 points in defeat on 14 shots. He was 2 of 6 from 3. Huge win for the Wildcats. Uh, Michigan State beat Michigan as expected. Michigan's been in a a, a tough sled. Hunter Dickinson at 25 and 6, but Michigan State cruises 83 to 67. TCU beating LSU in an upset. They win 77 to 68. LSU having a very poor game shooting. They were led by Tari Eason, who is now in the starting lineup. 206 represent. He had 16 points, but he was 0 -0 for 2 from downtown. And TCU had two p- players with 19 points. Chuck O'Bannon Jr. and Mike Miles with 19 points to lead the Horn Frogs on the upset. No other upsets on Saturday. Cruising into Sunday, Purdue beating Ohio State. Purdue looking good. And this is with without uh, Jaden Ivy in the starting lineup. He comes off the bench, but he scores 21 points. Uh, Zach Eady with 20 points, the big man as well. Uh, Ohio State was led by EJ Liddell, had 20 points on 16 shots, but it wasn't enough for the Buckeyes as they lose by three to Purdue. Providence squeaks by Marquette, 17th ranked at the time, Marquette 22. Um, Providence was led by Nate Watson, who had 17 points, and Marquette was led by... Daryl Morcel, who had 14 points in the loss. Nice little Big East action there. On Monday, no surprises. Duke beat Notre Dame pretty handily. Baylor beats a very scrappy West Virginia team. They were led by James Akinjo, who had 25 points. And Taj Sherman led the Musketeers with 29, 2, and 3. West Virginia gets in the big dance. They will be a team that's uh, it's going to be a scrappy, lower-seeded team that you won't want to mess with. Auburn showing why they are the number one team in the rankings, blowing out Alabama yesterday, putting up 100-burger, 100-81 to over Bama. Bama was led by Shackleford, who had 26 points. He was 5 of 11 from 3. Quinterly staying pretty warm with 20 20 points but on 21 shots. And um, Auburn was led by... Wendell Green Jr. had 28 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists. You don't see full lines like that in college basketball very often. Uh, Jabari Smith with 17 points, letting the team do their thing. Kansas back in the win column, beating 20th-ranked Iowa State, 70-61. to 61. And uh, McCormack back in action with 14 points, 14 rebounds. Obaji not in the lineup, but the Jayhawks win, Rock Chalk. Iowa State was led by Isaiah Brockington with 24 points, 8 rebounds. Texas Tech beating Big Brother, the Texas Longhorns, 77-64. Texas has been struggling, not looking very good, and a lot of that comes on their offense. They shot 26% from three. They were led by uh, Marcus Carr with 18 points. Texas Tech uh, was led by... Kevin McCullough with 19.6 rebounds, but four of their five starters in double digits for the Red Raiders. UConn getting upset by Creighton, 59 55. They could not find the basket in this game. Um, Creighton was led by Ryan Hawkins, who had 23 and 11. UConn had uh, RJ Cole with only 13 points on 16 shots. He needs to be better if they want to win. Isaiah Whaley, 20 points, six rebounds, and the defeat for the Huskies. And then Ole Miss upsetting LSU again. LSU was an overrated team on my, my weekly rankings update. Not too surprised. Uh, LSU was led by Darius Days, who had 21 and 13. And then they had Tari Eason with 16 points. They're, they put him in the starting lineup to try to get some momentum doing going. The kid can hoop, but LSU is just not good enough. Today on Wednesday Villanova loses to Marquette again this time in Marquette. Uh, they went 83 to 73. Marquette was led by Justin Lewis who killed them in game 1 in Philly. 19 and 9 was his line and Villanova was led by Brandon Slater of all people with 18 points. Uh, the team shot 29% from 3. My favorite player on the team, the super senior, the the, the you know who's supposed to save them uh Jalen Samuels has not looked aggressive, not looked like himself. He was one for four, but he hasn't been shooting threes. He's passing open shots. That offense is broken. It'll be interesting to see what Jay Wright does as they're still, you know, highly ranked, but they do have six losses, three in the Big East. Time to 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 you know show out or shut up. So we're going to see what happens. Purdue beats Minnesota again. Jaden Ivey 21-10. Kentucky beats Vanderbilt, led by uh, Davion Mintz with 21 points. Vanderbilt has Scotty Pippen Jr. drop 33-6 and 5 in defeat. And then a huge game today in the Big 10, Illinois beating Wisconsin handily 80 to 67. And this is the Illinois team I've been wondering where they've been all season. Kofi Coburn 37 and 12. That's the line that you need if you're Illinois. That's what you need to see from your big guy if you're Illinois. And they beat a very good Wisconsin team. And Wisconsin did their thing. Johnny Davis, 22-15. and 15. Brad Davidson, only seven points. He was 0-6 for 6 from three. 3-12 from the field. Um, they needed more of him in this one. But Coburn dominating. Illinois looking like the squad that I had expected them to be. And we have a big game tomorrow with UCLA taking on Arizona. That's going to be a... a A big Pac 12 game. I expect UCLA to blow them out. Villanova gets their first action with UConn. This is their second year back in the Big East. So that's a big one Um, on Saturday. Let's see. Anything else? Kansas taking on Texas on Monday, Wisconsin and Michigan State on Tuesday. So we have some good hoop action coming up here in the future. Uh, But Arizona UCLA is going to be a fun one to wrap up the week in college basketball. But we're not done yet. We had Supercross again this past weekend. Um, In the 250, Michael uh, Moseman got the whole shot, but Christian Craig stole the show again as he's dominating this class. At this point, it's really a three-pony race. You have Christian Craig, Michael Moseman, and Hunter Lawrence. This race finished Craig first. Moseman second, Hunter Lawrence third, Nate Thrasher fourth, and my guy Joe Shimoda finishing back in the pack in seventh. So as we look at the 250 points now, Craig is in first with 99, Lawrence is 11 points back in second at 88, Moseman is three back from Lawrence at 85, and Shimoda's back and forth at 66. So Shimoda needs to get it figured out. That was one of my preseason favorites, him and Hunter, uh, but Christian Craig, the, the class of the 250 at this point. For the 450 class, it was a brutal event for my guy Ken Roxon, who hit the whole shot. He got tangled in the in the sand trap with uh, Jason Anderson, who came out in the better situation again, though. This is the second week in a row. Um, Roxon goes down, he goes down for a while, doesn't have enough time to come back, he fights his ass off. But brutal few weeks for Ken Roxon since a one. Uh, especially, you know, he's back in Anaheim, gets the whole shot, looks to be going on his way, and, and then that happens. Uh, Ferrandez started in the 12th place and just finished right outside the podium, so he he rode really hard. Eli Tomac stole the show with a victory. Mr. Consistent Tomac. Uh, Jason Anderson was second place finish. The young Chase Sexton, third. Dylan Ferrandez, fourth. Malcolm Stewart, fifth. Marvin Muskan, sixth. Barsha, seventh. Webb, eighth. Dean Wilson, ninth. Shane McElrath, 10th. Ken finished in 13th. And Aaron Plessinger all the way back at 22nd. So when we look at the points today, Tomax in first with 85. Chase Sexton is six back at 79. Jason Anderson, 2 back from Sexton at 77. Cooper Webb in fourth, 4 back at 73. Justin Barsha is one point behind Webb in fifth at 72. Malcolm Stewart in sixth, 2 back from Barsha at 70. And Kenny now all the way back in ninth place at 62, eight back from Stewart and 23 back from the lead. This weekend is round five in Glendale, Arizona. And it's the first triple crown of the season. If you don't know what that is, they have three shorter races, not the main event, 20 minute race. uh, And the winner or the, the highest points accumulated of all three gets the win. So a little change up. Hopefully that works well for Ken Roxon. but things are getting interesting. The 250 seems like a three-class, three-horse pony, kind of like the West in the NBA, and the 450 is like the East. Everything's really tight, but Tomac is leading the way, per usual. I, my preseason favorites were uh, Roxon and Tomac in the 450, so I'm not too surprised. Other things in sports: um, Dart transferring from USC to Ole Miss. He's going to take over. Um, the hell's his name he just got hurt oh i can't remember because he's not in the senior bowl right now he's battling that injury uh matt Carell's spot at old miss awesome awesome event in the australian open i couldn't sleep that night i actually watched a little bit of this matchup wasn't looking good for nadal when i was watching uh but he battled his heart out a five and a half our championship in the Australian open. He comes back to beat mev, which is such a cool thing. Cause fuck him. Um, but most grand slam titles with 21 ever Raphael fucking Nadal. Such a cool thing at the Australian open. So proud of him. So stoked for him. The Jackson hole natural selection had its results. Um, in the finale in, Main, uh, the one round one event of the natural selection. It was won by Sage Kotzenberg. Uh, he took on the young 22 year old stud from Bend, Oregon. And what a display we see in double backflips, really good, uh, writing from these guys. Uh, the women's was won by, um, Robin Van Wynn who gets her, uh, another win. She had been a, a part of this in the past year and done really good. But I don't know why it's not letting me scroll through here. It's broken. Oh, It's a drag, that's why. Jared Elston is the guy's name. Uh, big Air Jer on Instagram. Um, putting up a big number at 90 in a second run, but Sage just outdid him with 93 and a 91 in the first Huge, you know, Kotzenberg's been a part of Slope Style and lots of events. The Winter Olympics just coming around the corner. He's been involved there as well. Um, but he outed Mikel Bang and then beats the young Elston for first place in the men's. And then Re- Robin Van Gin uh, took on El- Alina Height. It went down to a third, uh, a third race. The first round, Robin takes it. The second round, Elena takes it. But then Elena took the tiebreaker. Excuse me. She did not win. Alina Height ends up taking it for the women's. But I fucking love this event. There was such good snowboarding. The next uh, event is round two, going to be in Baldface Lodge. And they have a window later in uh, February for when this is supposed to happen. And get to it. February 20th through 27th will be the second event based on snow conditions uh, for, for natural selection. Round two. Otani to officially grace the cover of MLB the show. Well deserved the, the unanimous MVP two-way player fucking young phenom getting the cover of it. Go Angels, let's make the playoffs. Let's end this lockout. But bravo Shohei. Uh the winter Olympics are going to have all fake snow in Beijing. I don't know if that's too much of a surprise, but completely all fake snow. I thought that was a little crazy that the fact that they're even hosting the winter Olympics, but it is what it is. Um, the opening ceremony will be televised Friday, early morning on NBC or Peacock. Technically they start tomorrow. Um, some big events and things that will be happening this Saturday, Jamie Anderson. She also took place in the natural selection last year is going for the first snowboarder to win three straight Olympic gold medals. Uh, Mikael Kingsbury, the most dominant winter Olympic athlete, one of the most dominant ever, is competing in the Moguls. On Sunday, Red Gerard is looking to go back-to-back in snowboard slope style. And Monday next week, women's hockey team is taking on Canada for the preliminary round after winning gold the last time out. But out of the six medals ever awarded in women's hockey, five of them have been won between either USA or Canada, so that's a huge matchup in women's hockey. Tuesday, Michaela Schriffen in women's slalom. Uh, Chloe Kim and Sean White in the snowboard halfpipe. The snowboard halfpipe finals for the women's is on Wednesday and Thursday for the men's. And then we had some USA soccer action as well. Uh, They beat El Salvador on Thursday 1-0. Nice little goal by my guy Robinson is becoming my favorite player on the squad. This is a big USA team uh, trying to make some moves in the World Cup. Uh, they lost to Canada 2-0 on Saturday, not as good of a look for them uh, for the top-ranked team in the CONCACAF. And then uh, uh, today they beat Honduras and below zero temperatures 3-0. Pulisic got a goal, coming off the bench, looking good, getting things going back. So they're close to locking in their World Cup final spot um, and uh, hopefully can make some moves and cater Qatar, however you say it, for the next World Cup. Ending the show on a bright note. I used to do non-story stories, best sports take of the week. It's hard for me to, you know, I do so much with the show to see what other sports takes are out there. Um, If I do have a good sports take, I'll put it on here. But for the non-story story, story, a business and buckets story, right? This is the buckets. This is the weekly sports. Um, I just released episode business episode 10 uh, with our good friend, Evan Lundy from Montana. And he he talked to me about some of the responses we've had since releasing that show last week. People reaching out for helping. He's doing a clothing business, niche clothing. Check it out. I've shared all of his handles in all social medias and the YouTube. Um, but yeah, you know, telling people it was a motivating story, inspiring story. You know, asking for help. That's what it's all about. One of these stories can resonate with someone, help change their situation, potentially change their lives. That's what we do, baby. But hey. We talked a lot. Championship Sunday, Super Bowl coming up. Hoops. We're talking UFC, UFC 20, 271 next week in the Olympics. Lots of shit going down. Thanks for tuning in. Love you guys. See you next week.